Into the Paint is an artist podcast about feelings, or a feelings podcast about artists. In this podcast, I interview artists and art world professionals and others working in creative industries to understand what inspires them and listen to their professional histories, all while taking a deep dive into their work. Recorded from East London, Into the Paint provides the art world's networks an open and intimate format for discussion. Into the Paint podcast, welcome. I am your host, Anthony Tino. This is the very first inaugural episode, and I will tell you that writing this monologue, this first monologue, has been difficult because it seems like there's a lot on the line here. There's a lot on the line because I've been thinking about producing this podcast forever, and now I'm finally doing it. And I actually feel like I need for this first one to kind of just speak from the heart. There's a lot of reasons why the podcast format has seemed to resonate with me, and I think about it um, as a nice... Uh, way of moving forward within a sort of continuum of working within publishing artist book publishing being a big part of my life and artistic career from my 20s until now curating certainly um, a lot of the artists that will be on the show are artists that I'm interested in um, whose work I like and we're certainly starting with a group of artists who I know personally. And hopefully this will continue to grow and continue to branch out. Um, And I really hope to just get as many people on the show as possible because I would like at some point for this podcast to become a sort of living resource for people where people can feel connected within an artistic community I also find the idea of using the podcast and and having a space to reflect on the artists that I talk to at the beginning of each episode as also kind of an opportunity to kind of flex some writing muscles and get into a practice of writing. I'm also planning on a small painting for every episode, which will follow the format of basketball court abstractions because we are getting into the paint. I think setting this all up in the very first introduction of the first episode will hopefully keep me to this, but I'm also realizing that this will be a long process, and hopefully each episode gets a little bit better, my interviewing also becomes a bit more seasoned, my production quality gets a bit better as well. So one of the things I've been uh, really thinking a lot about is the way in which the art world will choose to disseminate information about artworks and a lot of it to me seems very inaccessible sort of behind um, art speak so to speak and thinking that this podcast I really want it to be this open format that feels approachable to people and really highlights the the aspects of artists that we like allowing artists to be funny allowing artists to use humor, allowing artists to be dark or to be complicated, 
these tend to be the reasons why we're drawn to creative people in the first place. So I think this show, I, I don't want it to just be another format that sounds like someone's artist talk at an art fair or in a gallery. What I'm really hoping we can do with Into the Paint is truly get into the paint with people and think about the artistic and creative inspiration that drives people to do what they do. And so episode one, great place to start with, is actually one of my studio mates, Ben Golder, who I've known for about a year, uh, who joined the studio right before I went to Athens for the Athens Art Book Fair. And we've become really close in the past year. I really am inspired by watching Ben work independently. He's had a really interesting trajectory, sort of similar to my own, where he kind of comes out of a world that is more music-focused, had a um, more of a punk rock upbringing, and transitioned into the art world really through publishing and zines. Um, Since then, he also worked sort of in marketing. He's worked for Dazed. But in this episode, we also reminisce a little bit about the creative scene that we were part of when we were coming up. We also touched upon saunas, sauna hats. There's maybe a couple travel tips in there. But Ben was a really great person to start with, and I think he sets a really great tone for what I'm looking to achieve with this podcast. It's also just been great having Ben as a studio mate. And the fact that I am recording this podcast and these interviews out of the studio, it seems like the best place to start concentrically was the people that I see the most in the studio. And so please enjoy a conversation between myself and Ben Golder. Um, but anyway, how was LA? Um, yeah, it was nice. Yeah. Um, it's a pain, pain getting around places there, isn't it? Yeah, it fucking sucks. Um, Did you rent a car? No, I was like, cause I, cause I was like, I'm only going to the book fair. So I'm just going to take Ubers back and forth. But then like, it's still a nightmare. <laughs> Are the Ubers still cheap in LA? Because there was a while... Where I feel like they were trying to curb drunk driving, so the Ubers were like three bucks. I mean, they're definitely not that cheap, and they're pretty gross compared to like, I don't know. London black cabs. Where were you staying? (laughs) I was staying in Mount Washington, so just like staying in like... These people had turned like their garage into an apartment, so I just kind of stayed in their garage. Was it nice? Yeah, it was fine. It was just... It was a garage with a bed. <laughs> and just the Airbnb kind of deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I okay. used to, yeah, I used to stay at, and I don't think it's around anymore, but there was like this secret hotel that was, um, none of the exhibitors at the LA Art Book Fair knew about it, but it was called Hotel Daimaru. And it was across the parking lot from oh, the really? Geffen. And the website 
was only in Japanese and like you couldn't find it sick like on Google but somehow uh Paul John found the hotel and we used to stay there for the LA Art Book Fair which was amazing yeah and it was like 70 a night and oh, really? only Japanese people <laughs> that's so good I've got to got to check that out next time for sure and how was the fair the fair was good yeah. the fair kind of felt like i guess like a pre covid fair like it was like hectic the entire time and it right. was just like waves of people coming through oh, that's it was kind amazing. of just like yeah as busy as it was sort of like back when which yeah. was good um yeah i mean sold sold a bunch of books nice saw michael imperioli <laughs> <laughs> did he come to your table no but i saw him just like skulking around yeah because he's like kind of a cool dude I, yeah I, I didn't really realize that until like last year that yeah he just has this incredibly good taste in music and and it's funny with yeah, with yeah. la too like i remember um when i did it it must have been like 2015 there was like a moment where matt graining came into the room yeah, i was at that fair okay uh, when that happened yeah and there was just like so many simpsons bootlegs yeah around right well. and everyone got a little nervous and then yeah. realized he was actually kind of cool with it um but so how many times have you done the art book fair didn't the la one the first la one i did was 2016 okay i think i've done i've done it most years since then because you were saying the first time the first time you were invited Ooh. was 2015. Yeah. Yeah. And that was that you kind of had a harrowing tale with getting there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh so I guess like that would have been February 2016 would have been that fair. So, yeah, Shannon Michael Kane reached out to me and was just like basically just emailed me talking about Kez, which is like a film set in like a town near where I'm from. Okay. Just like, I love Northern England. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Um, and he was just like chatting to me about like weird, grim Northern English stuff for a while. And like, um, yeah, like invited me out to the fair in LA. Um, and this is when you were doing Snore? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So that was kind of like the first sort of publishing project I did. And is um, that the correct pronunciation of it? Did I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> snower, snore. How do you say it? I'd say snower. Because I, I think th it's, I was wondering if it was like snoor. Yeah, I don't know. I was just umlaut. like, I very much like fetishized Scandinavian stuff for right. a little bit. And I was like, I want to have a name with an umlaut in it. <laughs> do you think um, that comes from the hardcore music and the... No, I don't, I don't know. I was just like, I don't actually know where that came from. I was just like, I I just want to have a name with an umlaut. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, then like, and then that meant like snowing, I think, in Swedish. But I never knew how to pronounce it. Making it uh, up as you yeah. go. That's yeah. cool. Um, yeah, so when you, so Shannon reached out to you. Yeah. And... Um, I guess, yeah, this was before, because I was going to ask, yeah, did you get the grant to go? But I think the grant was created in memoriam. Yeah, it was after Shannon. he died. Yeah. yeah. No, so he, he reached out to me, invited me to the fair. I was like, I think I I was at 
university or I'd just finished university. But I think I think I was like on the dole at the time, which is like, I don't know, equivalent of like welfare or something. Yeah. Um, I had no money at all. So I was like, I'm going to take out this loan to make books and to be able to go to the fair. Right. Um, so I did that, made some books, booked my tickets to the fair. Um, for whatever reason, probably like my own stupidity for not noticing my flight got cancelled. And then... Was that British Airways? I honestly don't remember. Who are we going to drag? <laughs> All of them. Yeah. It could be anyone. Um, yeah, my flight got cancelled and then it was too close to the fair for me to be able to go because flights were way too expensive then. So I posted all of my books and I had a friend who was there who was going to just like watch my table. I posted my books and most of them arrived damaged. Uh, For whatever reason, they all had like water damage and were just like absolutely beat uh, up. Jesus Christ. So (laughs) yeah, I took out that loan. Could they made it there. They made it there, yeah. So that's good. You know, uh, some participation. And then I had like pretty much no books to actually right. be able to sell because oh, they yeah. were just so like fucked um and then spent many years paying off that loan <laughs> <laughs> but it happened eventually i mean i think i've been thinking a lot about this recently like the your um uh kind of like your threshold for really putting kind of like your skin in the game in a way, um, like in my twenties, I felt like I was very, um, I was very like, well, I'm just going to spend all my money on, um, you know, making books, um, or on a space or something like that. And I can't tell if it's just the people in my circle getting older and are less willing to do that. Or if kind of people seem less willing to do that. Yeah. I guess like your priorities change, don't they, as you get a little older, like it's nice to kind of not live in a small room with mould and shit like right, that. Right, yeah. So yeah, I don't know, it's you I guess you prioritise other your cash on other on other things. <laughs> um so so going back a bit, so you started Snore two thousand fifteen. Yeah. And this is when you were at uni where? Um, so this would have been when I moved I moved to London in, I think, 2014 or 2013. So I was at LCC studying a master's in publishing, which oh, wow. was just like an excuse for me to kind of move to London. Um, yeah. I got given this like weird bursary like I applied for the master's kind of like knowing that I couldn't afford it I got told that I qualified for this bursary so I applied for it and to get this bursary basically I had to go to like this church sort of building by St Paul's Cathedral yeah I had to convert Um, to Christianity (laughs) (laughs) and um, basically like wear a suit and kind of like bow to this guy who was wearing like a cloak oh wow medallions and like sign this book Jesus Christ um and then they paid for my entire masters, <laughs> and oh, like I've shit. had nothing to do with them since. Oh my god! But they're probably going to come at some point. With yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. I don't <laughs> need know. the interest. Out. Um, was that uh, an organization involved? Like, just 
private charity kind of thing or yeah it was it was like a, a i think they're called like a livery company okay um which is i don't even really know what it is these days i, I think it started as kind of like more of like a not a union but kind of like a society society kind of, yeah. for people who worked in specific um industries right but now it just seems as though it's kind of just weird old rich people who mm. just want to like i don't know do that bit <laughs> sure yeah 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 <laughs> whatever that means yeah. yeah well that's cool so um the publishing program was that was that like within the art school or yeah was, yeah and that was um like a kind of like a BFA or equivalent? Yeah, uh, it was an MA, yeah. Oh, yeah. an MA. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, and and did you, you had the art school experience in your undergrad as well? Yeah, I studied journalism. Okay, so, yeah. And quickly, very quickly, I realized that I didn't want to be a journalist. Mm. Um, just because they, I guess in that school, they were kind of like pushing people towards like local newspaper journalism and it really just like killed any enjoyment for like mm. doing any writing or anything like that yeah. for me um but, but i mean i mean do you think that in a weird way i think your kind of work which seems to kind of respond to or um kind of like move with maybe um I don't know, like your interest in youth culture and kind of like what's happening right now. Mm. Um, do you feel like you have sort of like a, do you feel like the journalist training is still part of kind of how you operate as like an artist publisher in any way? Uh, not, not that you're necessarily reporting, but, you know, just in, in you, how you observe things. Maybe. Um, I, yeah. I, I think it kind of maybe impacts sort of like editing and stuff storytelling because like when I do publish things I'm conscious of like how is this telling a story how can we like bring narrative to something rather than just being like here's a load of pictures right I think that's maybe where that kind of training has sort of like impacted that but otherwise yeah no not no not really I think it's kind of I found it yeah, I, f I found that it could sort of, like, killed any enjoyment of, like, writing anything for a long time, anyway. Mm. Yeah. Or, like, yeah. wanting to write. Mm. Yeah, that, it's interesting that I feel like I know so many people who kind of go through these degrees to then realize that it's not the thing they want to do, which kind of yeah. seems, like, counterintuitive. But I, I don't know. I still think, yeah, to that storytelling, to the narrative, I mean... Um, Maybe, I don't know, it it played some kind of role in, I mean, your work at Dazed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I don't know, but I might be thinking about it sort of wrong. Yeah, I mean, I I always loved Dazed, like, from being a kid. So to be able to kind of, like, go and work there for such a long time was, like, like blew my mind for a long time. Mm. Which was like, this is the best job that anyone could right, ever right, have. Yeah. And, like, uh, the... Yeah, like it's such a great company, especially like when I started there. Like it was just such a such a fun place to work. Um, but when you got into journalism, were you thinking um, 
about media outlets like Dazed. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's the that was the sort of writing that I was interested in doing, like wanting to like write for like I, Dazed or ID or like at the time Vice was a lot more interesting than sure. what it is now. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was the sort of stuff I was interested in doing, and like where I'm from, Sheffield, and I studied my BA there. Um, there wasn't anything like that really. So yeah. Um, so yeah, I think like it's kind of like the what they taught you is very limited in in what you could be as a journalist. Right. Yeah. And and were you mostly reading sort of like music stuff or? Um. No, I was definitely reading more sort of culture stuff mm. over over music like I, I guess I used to read like The Enemy when I was like a lot younger like 15 or something but then I guess when I discovered the internet <laughs> it was definitely more like when we all discovered the internet <laughs> yeah. Vice ID days and then like all of the like weird kind of like blogs that came sort of around that time as well um there's a lot of great like just super small publications yeah, that just like yeah. popped up on the internet which i was like well into do you think that the the independent publisher scene now in a way has been sort of influenced by the blog boom like um in the sense that like i i think maybe the blog like the rosy thinking around blog culture and all that kind of like democratization language when people kind of realize like, oh yeah, people don't really, or it, it almost kind of, um, it didn't take off the way people I think expected it to, but now I almost think that, I don't know, there might be some kind of relationship to now people looking more towards like small press. Yeah. I mean, I think every sort of culture publisher now wants their own equivalent of like a Substack. Mm. which I mean generally those sorts of places are always a bit behind the times and a lot of the time maybe feels a little insincere these days because um, yeah. Yeah. yeah I just don't I you know I wonder I think people don't consume media the way we like pe- the way people at least at like an institutional level talk about people Mm. Um, consuming media. I mean, it's rare that I go to a website to read something. To read something, yeah. as um, it's more sort of it'll show up in my Twitter feed exactly, or yeah. something that will take me there, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's why it's going to be a huge issue within the sort of like magazine publishing industry over the next few years because so much of that audience is kind of owned by social media platforms now rather right. than like people going to their own websites. So then like magazines aren't making money by like ads on their websites so much anymore because right. there's not as many people reading them. Um, and then, yeah, you're kind of having to sort of like pander to everything, like all of the different algorithms on, on social media, making content for social media. So like people consume their content not on their own platform now they're just consuming it on like instagram or TikTok sure, or whatever yeah. um then magazines can't make money through doing that mm, so yeah or like they can make money because they can do like branded content but then that sort of kills the autonomy of the yeah right right exactly so like everything then it becomes that like every 
bit of content they're making is branded content. Essentially. Sure. Yeah. Um, so in your approach to let's, you know, let's say like new dimension is your newest platform. Right. And I know kind yeah. of like having been to the launch, uh, at photo London this year, um, which, you know, and we can get into that. Um, but are you kind of thinking about these bigger issues related to kind of like publishing and media? Cause it's, you know, it seems like that's something that is important to you or it's something that you're well educated on or is new media kind of, kind of more, you know, a traditional outlet or, or yeah. How are you thinking about it? I think so. I honestly think kind of like people, if they're consuming media to like actually read, it's going to be pushed more into sort of like physical space again. Mm. Um, which I guess it's like always has been, but maybe even more so. Um, with New Dimension, it is a publisher, but I also want to offer different services for like publishers and galleries and sort of communities with, within the arts to kind of help elevate themselves. So within that, I'm doing distribution I'm doing mm. PR and I'm doing digital ads. And the kind of idea behind it is that a lot of people make these amazing books or products or whatever, but they don't know how to get people to see it. Right. And to do that, going through sort of like, I guess it's like more traditional agency is very expensive. I just want to be able to make something that's kind of like accessible and affordable yeah. for people in the hope to kind of like help everyone grow within this sort of community. Right. And do you think, um, would you classify new, new dimension as sort of just like a new take on an agency or are we sort of pushing the limits of like what a publisher can do? I think both. Yeah. Um, cause I want it to be, you know, an I want it to be like an agency that kind of like provides a service or services for people but right. also i do see it as my own creative outlet where i like i'm making books i'm like doing like just doing different stuff and it's kind of like my creative vision mm. behind that as well um, yeah it yeah. just it's just sort of like a big one place for me to to do my bits yeah that's a <laughs> all the bits yeah. <laughs> um we talked a little bit about um or i mentioned photo london so that was your kind of debut. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we launched New Dimension with a solo show and a book by Sam Wright, um, who's a photographer. Um, the book is called City of the Sun, and it was all images that he took in Naples in I think August 2022, um, designed by Beautiful Alex Curry. Book. Um, yeah, with some text by Jill Bruno as well, who's a great writer. And um, what I like about this book, too, is sort of, you know, when you get to the, you know, even just looking at the, um, the kind of uh, the credits, it's sort of, I like how you're really keeping this in like within network, right? So we've got like page masters exactly. um, here, you know, it really does feel sort of like, and it's, it's actually just as I think the, the photo quality, it really seems like a, like a, you know, a photo book you'd, 
you would want to and you would expect to see at something like Photo London. Yeah. But it, it's also, you know, I think it kind of, um, and, you know, just knowing kind of like your background a bit in kind of like punk communities, like it still feels punk in the sense that it's sort of like, you know, everyone is kind of brought to the party. Yeah, exactly. Way, you know? yeah. So, I mean, I'd like, like I wanted to make it something that was like, again, like accessible. Like I didn't want it to be like a 50 pound photo book. I wanted it to be something that was affordable for people. I want always just want to work with my pals. I always think it's more fun working with your pals than kind of just working with random people right. where it feels a little more serious. You can be a little more open when you work with your pals. Like, like with Sam, we've been like doing stuff together since we were kids basically yeah yeah i wanted um, to chat about that a little bit too yeah i mean like we we played in like hardcore bands together we met at like we met at hardcore gigs in sheffield um like we'd go to this venue called the cricketers arms which was like the the spot for punk gigs back in the day um and it was above it was just like a, a room above a pub and when you were like 15 or whatever, they'd serve, they'd let you buy like two litre bottles of cider to take <laughs> into the gigs. Um, yeah, Wait, it is. Would just... they serve you booze? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and it was sort of like, I don't know if you, if you know too much about sort of like football hooligan culture and firms and things like that, but this was, this pub was next to the Sheffield United ground, Bramalay. Oh, okay. And this is where like the, the firm, the BBC, um, used to drink, so it was like there. Oh shit! That so, pub, yeah. yeah. So kind of wild times in the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. There's a lot of like <laughs> funny stories yeah. about kind of like the the punks and the football hooligans. Yeah, uh, yeah. Connected. <laughs> um. So yeah, one thing I wanted to ask about the the kind of the Sheffield uh, hardcore scene. Um, I, I think it's it's interesting with hardcore scenes. I. I feel like I was always really into kind of like classic punk and then got really into experimental stuff, but I've always been really interested and I've always gotten along really well with people who have been like, I'm kind of born from this hardcore scene. Um, Though, I I don't know, I I think there wasn't really a great one um, or I just might not have known about the one in New York coming up, but there was obviously like a little bit before me kind of like D.C., and Massachusetts, yeah. um, and I know a lot of those communities were very, um, very into kind of um, sobriety. Yeah, right. Um, also very into veganism. Yeah, um, and I was just wondering, um, in the Sheffield scene, was there the same? Was there a similar kind of? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was like a. A, la- a label that came out of Sheffield called Dead and Gone. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was a, a label that came out of Sheffield called Dead and Gone, um, which was like a straight edge hardcore label, and it was like, like the biggest were label. Were you straight in. edge? I was, never, I was never straight okay, edge. I had yeah. a lot of friends who were. <laughs> um, I didn't used to drink that much at the time, though, just because I was the only one who could drive, so I'd, I'd have to drive uh, yeah, us so to you every had gig. To play that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I was I was never straight edge. I don't know in Sheffield it was either like you were straight edge or you were like a big boozer, right? Uh, <laughs> so you went kind of well. Again, you're driving, so yeah, but yeah. But then 
yeah, when I when I stopped having a car, then I started <laughs> boozing. <laughs> I think like for me, maybe because when I was younger, I was just like obsessed with, you know, drinking and and like smoking weed and shit that um, hardcore always seemed like I remember when I was in uh, New Paltz um, for yeah. my um, for college, I lived in a house that had like a small um, kind of like basement venue in it. It was called mm. Kitty City. And we kind of like would trade shows and, you know, with the different housemates and whenever the hardcore bands would play or there was a band that called themselves like a power violence band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, they were very, you know, into kind of like the straight edge thing. And I was always like, guys, I'm too fucking hungover for your energy. Can you chill the fuck out? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I was always very into music that was kind of inspired by like heroin. Yeah. yeah you know what yeah. I mean? Like I need a little bit more like uh, slower. Um, yeah. But I don't know. But then again, I always really, you know, like when it came to art making, when it came to to film and print and I and I obviously I liked the volume of hardcore. Yeah. And I, I, I did sort of like the the fact that there was a community that is also coming around some kind of set of ethics, whatever it is. Yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. I mean like I learned about like politics because of hardcore mm-hmm. basically. Right. Like kind of I guess more sort of like left wing politics, which is kind of like the norm now. I kind of learn from being like a fourteen-year-old kid just from going to like hardcore shows sure, and like picking yeah. up pamphlets at the merch table and things like that and like yeah, yeah, learning about sort of like I don't know veganism or mm. feminism or things like that just from being like a crazy young age just from going to those sorts of yeah. shows. And I always, <clears throat> I always kind of um, respected that about hardcore and and maybe it was, it's also a thing that I kind of felt. Um, like I envied from the scene a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like I, but for me, I kind of felt as though it had its limits. Like I did a couple of bands. I reached like a certain age, and I was just like, "This can't give me anything anymore." Yeah. Like a like. I think it's a little different these days, but at the time it was very much like what you did was very much like in a box and if you did anything outside of the box you weren't accepted so right, like you basically right. That's interesting as long as you kind of like ripped off a band kind of note for note from like i don't know like from a very like specific scene like maybe you rip it maybe you're ripping off like a, a boston band from the mm-hmm. 80s or something um as long as you were doing that, you were like accepted. And but if you were trying to do like anything remotely different, mm. then yeah, people just wouldn't bother. Kind of really, that's interesting. Listening to you or yeah. yeah, I mean, there there's certain bands I feel like now that kind of like again were like forged in the hardcore in some kind of hardcore moment that that have taken sort of that vocabulary to make kind of beautiful music and I think about um I listen to them all the time um I I don't know if you know them they're called have a nice life no I don't know them and they kind of feel like it's the tones and the vibe is all hardcore but it's way slower and it's way and it's and then it gets into this moody ambient thing 
Um, and I feel like there's maybe a lot of people who, who, yeah, like again, are forged in the scene, but then they kind of spread their wings yeah, in, in, in different, different ways. Yeah. yeah. And I've always like, I guess with like getting into more like publishing stuff or art stuff or whatever, I've always gravitated to people who have come from that sort of scene or come from like a punk scene who kind of like get it. Because I feel as though coming from that sort of community impacts the way that you work or approach things. Right. Kind of moving forward with whatever you do. Yeah. Um, and I guess sort of like coming out of hardcore and then kind of coming into more like a zine culture or like mm. uh like small press publishing sort of culture it was like okay this is kind of the same thing right like it's yeah. just like mates making stuff and supporting each other mm. and it's it's a community and i yeah i really liked that sure yeah there's almost kind of like because i think a lot about how um yeah just how like funding works within or like money works like even within publishing and i think pretty quickly into publishing i was sort of like okay well we got to forget about that here um there's kind of almost a disharmony between a lot what a lot of the art world how a lot of the art world operates ethically and the ways in which publisher like artist publishers think about think about sales think about um support you know, which actually does seem, in a way, a lot closer to kind of, like, punk ethics. Yeah, yeah 100%. Right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, going back to kind of, like, the like the LA art book fair that just happens, like, when you're, like, chatting to people, sales aren't so much in, like, sales aren't too important. It's more so, like, I met a bunch of great people. Like, I've seen some great work i've like yeah. done a few trades with some people as well whose stuff i'm interested in like i've made enough money to kind of like tr- cover my trip and yeah and that's it. it's just been like a fun time in kind of like a good community sure yeah um though i do have to say i remember the la art book fair people's pockets were a little deeper than oh I totally <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um you know i think um you know in thinking about those kind of um, those kind of ethics, there's also kind of like a material um, there's a material overlap, right? Because when you're in a hardcore band or you know some kind of indie band, and you're making your own tapes or kind of thinking about merch and kind of uh, or ephemera even, right? Because I know like also within hardcore the 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 show poster is really important yeah um like for me i i always thought like someone who really inspired me in my early 20s in kind of that overlap between the music world and the visual art worlds was c spencer yay and the folks at like primary info mm. um and you know the er, like c spencer yay was part of burning star core and Burning Starcore made these like incredible like tape anthologies that were kind of like kind of like artist books and um I know um uh, Primary Info has done um has like reissued uh like old kind of like 
artist magazines in the tape yeah. format. So do you think that there was also some kind of gravitation towards artist publishing on that kind of like material level? Yeah. I mean, I, when I was doing bands and stuff, I always loved making the object and mm. like making an interesting object. So like if we do like a, I don't know, like a cassette or something, we'd like screen print the sleeves and right. and just try and do something a little more interesting than, you know, just it being in like a, a plastic case with some shoddily printed yeah. liner yeah. notes or whatever. Um, me and my friend, so I, I kind of got more into publishing um, because like me and a friend one summer um, decided to make a fake magazine to see if we could get into festivals for free. <laughs> um, and it worked. We got into like a bunch of festivals. As like a, on like a press pass? Yeah, kind of yeah, thing. yeah, okay, exactly. Cool. Nice. And then we were like, okay, right. So now we probably should make a magazine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we like made one issue of the magazine through like a, a party for it and and that was kind of it but i always enjoyed the kind of yeah making the object over like writing anything or even what the like the content of the magazine was i was more interested in like okay like what sort of paper stock are we going to be using like what is like what imagery are we gonna is it gonna have and things like that yeah yeah you know it's funny that you mentioned that too because um and not to go back to my own college days but you know I was in a printmaking program where we were and you know had a great time and printmaking definitely kind of I think was the was the eye-opener for me into kind of really making visual art aside from you know photo and some video stuff but um it you know we'd be in our super nice studio like I've never been in a nicer printmaking studio um, and you have these giant presses and these acid baths to make like etchings yeah. and shit, you know, and we're looking at slide projectors of, you know, archives that don't exist anymore of like, uh, South American revolutionary, yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. it was a really great, um, education, but then there was this one print shop in town that did skateboards um, hosted like parties at the bar and would um, do merch for bands at shows. And I always thought that, you know, they, none of them had a like printmaking background. background. Yeah. They all just got into screen printing through like skateboarding. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think that that's kind of always been the energy that I, well, that was eye opener for me because I think prior to that I thought, okay, so the route here is be an artist, you know, just kind of, um, especially having professors who were mm. showing in biennials as these kind of print media artists. Then it's sort of like, oh, well, yeah, you can you can actually take this into kind of like this more democratic zone, yeah, totally, right? Um, um, which at least was a drive. For me but um were you working with uh with sam during those days on because he has his own visual art kind of trajectory too so i'm wondering yeah, yeah. so actually i've done bloody loads of stuff with sam so <laughs> <laughs> so me and me and me and sam met like i said when we were kids uh like hardcore shows we played 
in a band together called The Pact, which was just like a very kind of short-lived thing. We released like one one demo tape, um, did a few like tours and packed it in just because we were like all living in different cities and it was just a pain to do. Yeah. Um, but going back to like the fake magazine that me and my friend did, Sam actually shot the cover for that. I've just, just remembered that. Oh, cool. And then when I launched uh, Snower, Sam was again like the first like book that right. I made during that. Um, and yeah, that was a book called Dreamland Welcomes You, um, which was about sort of like this place in, in Margate, which was at the time was just like a really run down um yeah a really run down sort of spot and it's been since the book has come out because it was like 10 years ago now i guess mm. it's been sort of regenerated oh, and it's cool. like a tourist destination now yeah right um but yeah i printed so for that book i kind of like printed all of it at the university um again just being sort of like stupid we made the book like huge <laughs> right and then right. it was too big to physically to like fucking bind fit through the printer oh, okay. as in like the the dimensions were massive yeah um so yeah it was too big to fit through the printer so we had to like redesign everything and then so just like, i want to do everything myself i want to print it myself i want to bind it myself and all of this sort of stuff i didn't have any idea what i was doing right were you um, feeding it through like a xerox copier no like this a... was like it was Initially, so where, because I printed it at my uni at LCC, so they mm -hmm. had like um, a big like litho printer. Oh, okay. So it was like an offset kind of... Um, it was supposed to be. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then they were like, because the, co the cover was just like, was just like this mad sort of gradient thing. And they're like, oh, you'd need too many plates to... Mm, to do it right so then we ended up printing that digitally but yeah it was too big for the printer so then we had to resize it and then i actually didn't know how to bind it because i didn't actually have any binding machines at yeah, the university that's a fucking nightmare too. Um, yeah. so then on the day of the launch i had to get it bound by justin and jordan who do page masters right. now but they used to work at a rezo place and design studio called Hatto, which oh, is like yeah, right yeah, next I know to Hatto. Okay, um, cool. right next to where we launched. We launched at Doom Gallery in Dalston. So oh, like, nice. yeah, the book basically got bound the day of its launch, like an hour before its launch, essentially. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I remember the first book I made with uh, Paul John was the first issue of Sports. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's just staples through the front cover. Yeah. Like we we didn't have enough you know, time to think through like, oh, it should fold and saddle stitch. <laughs> but, um, and then, yeah, I also think about, um, I think this is a weird part of arts education. At, well, at least for me, like there were people on campus that were like the print services. Yeah. And they had these offset litho presses and this, we're running this amazing print shop basically for the whole university and I kind of thought, like, well, that's fucking printmaking. Like, and actually, like, look at them in action. And everyone's show cards got made there, yeah. you know, uh, loads of posters. And then I kind of thought, like, when it came to actual culture, like the culture of New Paltz, like, 
how much um how much of the print was coming from the studio versus how much of it was coming from like again like the screen print guys in town yeah. and 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 I think at, well so Paul John and I met there um in that program and I think we tried to take some of that energy into things like endless yeah yeah totally um but i think um uh, yeah it's just it seems like a no-brainer you know it's like print has always been um we only think of litho as being kind of highbrow now Mm. because it's novelty but it's not like a highbrow medium this is about like printing menus and shit exactly yeah yeah so about mass yeah or like you know uh, the fact that People used to ship things wrapped in like, you know, off prints from like Japanese woodblock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it always just like kind of stuns me that. But I, I, yeah, I mean, I think print is like not meant to be. Um, well, we, maybe we have a certain reverence towards printed things. Mm. But I, yeah, sometimes I wonder. I mean, obviously, you don't want to like treat your shit like shit. Yeah. But, like, you know. But I, I I do also think there's like merit in maybe it's not maybe not the right word but like I appreciate something that's like printed on a shit photocopier right as well as something that is supposed to be like a high quality print I think right. there's like they like one is not necessarily superior over the other they're just different mediums of doing the same mm. thing yeah yeah different outputs yeah. I wonder too if um you know the the same applies to let I don't know like if you're a painter or something like is there the same kind of um like lowbrow culture that one could appreciate I, you know I mean maybe, maybe there's like street painting or in certain parts of the world there's kind of like sign painting and yeah. like Mexico Philippines yeah totally um you know folk craft but and you know i'm not sure if it has that same kind of um like it being like really disposable kind of thing yeah. that print kind of has to it i don't know there's maybe no answer there yeah yeah i have, <laughs> I have no idea <laughs> <laughs> but um anyway so i'm interested in a little bit because i know um, I know that obviously New Dimension is not your first press, right? Yeah. So, so you get into printing, you, you get into kind of publishing post hardcore. Um, and then at that point you're in London. Yep. Right. So in London, what, what was, uh, you know, what was your experience like then? How are you publishing? Uh, who were you showing with? Um, I suppose, what was I doing? So I, I basically started Snower because like I was going to a lot of art shows and things like that and going to a lot of like book launches and I was sort of feeling as though like there wasn't necessarily a space for like me and my friends who were from sort of like, you know, generally the north of England. Right. Um, I don't know, those spaces were always for like, I don't know, people who like studied 
art history and had like a a bit of a different language around it all. So mm. I just wanted to really sort of make something for yeah, people who were like making work from yeah, you saw from like the north of England the... and tonally that sort of work was very different to what I was seeing in like London galleries or London spaces. Yeah. Um but generally I was kind of like at that time I would have been like hanging out at Doomed Gallery, which right. is on Ridley Road. It was run by uh, my pal Matt Martin. Um, and it was the only sort of like, I guess, DIY sort of gallery in London. So it was like, mm. it was basically started by this guy, Ken, who essentially just turned his like basement flat into a gallery space. Um, Matt moved into the space and sort of, basically around the gallery curated all of or like curated most of the shows that happened there and kind of like made it more of a thing um and was it were the shows like uh I, you know I, I would use the word commercial but like w- w- things were for sale there um, no right? they weren't generally weren't selling shows so okay. it was more so like I've got this body of work I want to like show mm, it right um or it could have been like there's a lot of group shows that happened there as mm. well so it was like I don't know kind of more like a party spot exactly like, yeah, yeah right yeah so it wasn't like those are important though because yeah. I feel like um I don't know or also the the history of Dalston is interesting because I've heard so many times that since I've moved to London and you know was living in Dalston yeah that, I'd kind of missed this heyday of it. Yeah. So yeah, Dalston used to be great. Yeah, uh, Dalston just used to be like a place where you could just go out all the time. Like mm-hmm. I used to go and like drink in this bar called the Alibi all the time. That was like run by my pals, um, and basically all of the good like spots in Dalston closed, or most of them closed. And right. I think they've they're like, um, I think if you run a bar in Dalston now you have to close before a certain time mm, yeah and like all of these sure. spots were just like open till like 6am yeah. I think the only art space um well or at least the only like kind of creative spaces like definitely as an art space you have Cafe Auto. yeah right um and then Sister Space has like a little space next to them and there's like a little gallery there yeah but aside from that little pocket of Dalston um you know, I, I, I also, like, when I speak to older London folks who have moved, there's a lot of, um, oh, well, you know, shit's still happening in the borough of Hackney and the East. And I'm like, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, Hack- Hackney as a borough feels pretty strange these days. Yeah. Um, it definitely feels a lot. Just like cleaner, like Clapham, Clapham fied. Right. Like, um, I don't know, like Hackneywick, for example, used to be like a place where there'd always be like loads of parties and just like loads of like stuff going on. And now, I guess with like um, kind of like the growth of Stratford, it seems as though a lot of sort of yuppies have, have come towards right. Hackneywick. And it's definitely been sort of built up now, where before it was just like pure industrial spaces yeah i have a friend who thinks that the kind of um the dalston downfall was kind of part of that um evolution of kind of urban regeneration 
that tends to happen, which is sort of after the artists then come in. Yeah, the, the totally. people who are not working in the in the arts or are just uncreative people who then called in noise complaints. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, and it's 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 a little bit like I don't know. London can be a pretty quiet town. Like you can move to quiet places, exactly, yeah. and you chose to move to, to like a hectic area. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, I just did a little bit of. Uh, research on Doomed, um, you know, after having um, heard about it through you. And it just seems like this is sort of like exactly the type of space, you know, you would want in a place like Dalston, right? Yeah, right. exactly. It was perfect. It was kind of like, I don't know, what would the New York equivalent have been like, Mud Guts or something like that? Yeah, I, I was thinking it, it almost gives me like Silent Barn oh, right. kind yeah, of yeah. vibes, though Silent Barn was really more about Music, performances. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was a, I mean, there was a lot of, New York's weird though, because everything's so transient. Like if yeah. you're not there in like that year, like um, the, fitness was a great place in Bushwick Yeah, that was there for maybe one year. I actually did, it was like my only like show as an artist right? Um, that I did there. Nice. But and then they had like shows downstairs and it was, I think it was called fitness because they it was an old fitness thing oh, and sick. they just like left the sign up. So, um, nice. but, but yeah, so, but for doomed, you know, it's like, there's clearly, there was a lot of, there was a emphasis on publishing. Yeah. Uh, I wonder what the, what the shows were kind of like, yeah, you said group shows. Yeah. Or, I mean, yeah. it was basically, I think if you were kind of like into maybe like a non traditional approach to like art as in like, maybe you didn't go to art school but you just wanted to like make things or you came from more of like again like a diy or a punk background right, right. and doomed was kind of like the place for you um but th there was like a huge community there and it was kind of like i guess going back to sort of like what you were saying about the skateboarders screen printing and things yeah. like that and it was more so like yeah people who like maybe skateboarded but then also like took photographs or mm. um or people who like yeah took photographs at like punk shows or and things like that rather than being necessarily it wasn't necess necessarily a highbrow place right but it was right. there <laughs> it was there for but it's interesting too because you know their um their website well it was a tumblr it's still yeah. up and just looking through like the things that they had going on I don't know what year this is, but um, there was a introduction to cultural politics, right? So there was a session on uh, ideology and consumption. Um, there was something about, you know, Antonio Gramsci and hegemony. This is part of the Center for Cultural Studies Research at Doomed Gallery. Wow. Which I, is pretty amazing. Yeah, I didn't you know. know that was going on there. Um, they had, uh, yeah, it looks like zines, cultural studies... There's a radio station. Um, I guess, yeah, radio is like sort of like another one of those like overlap. Yeah, totally. Things. Um, but, um, but I think as far as, you know, other than Doomed, you know, I try to think about, um, and I think this is, some, you know, this is something that as, you know, publishers, we have to kind of think about like, what are the, what are the outlets in uh, in London, you know? Um, 
like without something like doomed you know like yeah i mean i was doing that work and i really feel like there's not many yeah um that kind of like serve not many or not any even like that serve like that that same purpose that is just like a very very approachable place to like you know, launch a book or, or put on a show. Like Matt now runs, who ran Dunes, now runs the photo book cafe in Shoreditch. Oh, but I right. feel as though oh, that's, that's, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I feel as though that's still, you know, that's got its own niche. That is like very much like there for photography right, and photographers. Right. And um, yeah, and, and maybe attracts a little bit more of a crowd that is kind of like working in the industry. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, so yeah, t- to be honest, I, I'm i not really sure what spaces yeah. there are. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for books um, and for independent publishers, I, I think like what would London be like without like tender books, exactly, for example, yeah. you know, is I think filling a really um, important gap. Um, and then I think actually kind of like the best bookstores, which is kind of, weird to feel because it actually seems almost like counterintuitive to the ethics of independent publishing are kind of like in the institutional bookshops yeah like you know like the ICA yeah yeah no I I think you're right I think like as far as sort of like artist book shops goes it's really kind of like Tender and Donlon who are kind of yeah yeah top of the top of the table <laughs> <laughs> top of the heap um, yeah and you know it's also i think i'm still adjusting to being here and, and you know this is not to say that new york is full of it because like new york has a lot of issues i think with people being able to start independent projects again but you know at least in in new york there's the lower east side yeah exactly. you know where you know, all the galleries are kind of uh, run by... I mean, there's some money there, for yeah. sure. There's some trust funds happening in the Lower East Side. Course, but yeah. it's still kind of like they're not the big-name galleries. And, the, you know, you're going to see shows by kind of like mid-career artists. Totally. Um, and I think that's actually kind of almost the the spot that, t- at least to me to me feels missing in London is not necessarily the highs and lows. Um, well, the lows, yeah, maybe that's yeah. missing as well. But also that mid-career thing of like, you know, what do you do if you're not represented by a gallery or you're not like completely self-sufficient? You know, are there those galleries to give you those opportunities? Totally. To sell your work, to, you know, I, I mean, for better or for worse, we're talking about an industry that um, that supports itself on the sale of work to yeah. to people like in the one percent, right? Exactly. And, yeah. 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 I mean, I th- I think like I think New York in general feels like a lot more of like a DIY city compared mm-hmm. to London, and I think that's that's really great. I feel like London is very. Um, like holds a lot of weight on institutions, whether mm. that's like art schools or right. you know, like bigger museums, yeah, galleries, kind of things like that. Yeah. Um, I just think it's a shame because, like, there's, I don't know, in New York, it feels as though there's a lot more access to be able to just like make stuff and get it out there. 
Mm. Um, and I guess in, as far as like publishing goes, maybe that's because printed matter has been there for yeah however many years. Um, but it feels like the sort of like independent publishing community there is a lot stronger than what it is right over here. Right. Um, and even I think as far as galleries go, like Tiger Strikes Asteroid in Bushwick yeah. is like a perfect example of this kind of, you know, gallery where you're going to see something great, yeah. you know, by someone who who is completely like in any other period of time, like in the 70s would have just been an established artist, right? Totally, but like, yeah. I, I don't know. It's hard to find these like. I don't really get, I don't know, maybe this is just me. I I find it hard to get excited by galleries here. Yeah, I agree. Right? I agree. Yeah. I mean, like, what's the, what's the area in New York? Is it like Dime, Dime Square? Dime Square, Where, like, yeah. Uh, Which I, Endless had a space close to Dime Square. Oh, really? Actually, but funny enough, like, we were never Dime Square people. Yeah. Because there's yeah. that, like, row of galleries there, and they're right. all just, like, great. So and that's all where... just, like, in, like, I don't know, old Chinese restaurants yeah, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, On Henry Street. I th- yeah, is it Henry Street? That's where, like, there's... Uh, is it Public Access that yeah, 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 Fitzpatrick yeah. used to do? I think... Like, pu- no gallery. Public Access might be in the old space that we occupied the basement of oh really actually yeah so i i I mean unless i'm wrong it was like 191 henry yeah and endless had the basement and at that time it was uh our jampole projects run by rebecca jampole who kind of was like doing her thing in new jersey yeah so she was running these like artist residencies in new jersey and she kind of had this space in new york that she would use as kind of like an outlet for new jersey artists and she was sort of like, I have this weird basement and I don't know what to do with it. So PJ and I like schlepped a Rizzo down there and nice. just had these like, I mean, it was, it, there's no way it was sustainable. But then next door there was City Bird Gallery. Yeah, that whole stretch. Yeah, there's a know. lot of great galleries yeah. just on that, in that small And it was, area. you know, people just kind of figuring out a way to pay the rent. You exactly, know? Like, yeah. Which like, again, I kind of feel like, you just do not have in London whatsoever. Yeah. Like to be able to go, I don't know. Obviously, like there's areas of London that are sort of like heavier with galleries, mm. but none of them feel like they have like the accessibility, maybe mm. as kind of like those ones in in that area for example right Um, right it still all feels a little like um again either kind of like institutionalized or just like there to service yeah just like the one percent this sort of stuff is what i've been pondering on quite a lot lately it's just like i mean it's the good stuff to ponder yeah but it but it's also just like how have I found myself in an industry that is just there to kind of like service rich people? <laughs> oh, I know, I know. Um, well, yeah. but you know what? This is this is interesting because Eric and I were talking um, after last week's podcast about um, I think this change in perception that I'm starting to have which is not really about the art world, which is actually about the fashion world. 
yeah. and, and the fashion photography world in the sense that I've always kind of thought, well, oh, well, fa- fashion brands are obviously evil because of child sweatshops in, yeah. in, in South Asia. Um, and then I actually think when it comes to kind of like the continuum of image making and kind of like when we think about like pictures with the capital P yeah. um, and, you know, thinking about how painting really only became accessible to working class people from like the 1940s through yeah, like yeah. the early 80s. When we're actually thinking about the trajectory of that, the fashion world is one in which is actually able to sustain and support creative individuals totally. in a way that I think this is going to sound controversial, but it, it might actually do it better than the art world yeah, in some 100%. ways. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, I've, I, I mean, I'm sure you do as well have pals who are kind of like working photographers, but mm. then they make a good bit of cash from working on, I don't know, a project with a brand. And right. then that can just like fund them to make books or sure, to like make right. their own personal work yeah. or like publish other people's projects, mm. um, which I guess. Yeah, I think it's a world that I was envious of. Yeah. And, you know, maybe... I think maybe my, you know, my ex's involvement in the, in, in that world, I always thought like, oh, well, you know, there aren't enough dissertations coming out of this, but then actually at the same time, it's like, well, I'm not, you know, there, sure, there's an interest in kind of like academic rigor to a certain point, but I don't see why you can't, uh, you know, everything is, is still pushed and, shaped by the market exactly you know and i think we like to think that you know institutional fine art is is um is separate from that but it's it what it actually does it it does a great job at kind of concealing the fact that we're talking about artists that the one percent collects are the ones getting the in the you know institutional shows um and and funding, you know, funding is funding. Like, I don't know. I, I think I'm still interrogating this thought. Like, yeah, I, don't, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I don't think I have an opinion yet. Right. But um, it's all capitalism. Yeah, it's it? all just fucking capitalism. <laughs> but actually, speaking of capitalism, um, I feel like you had this idea that I wanted to make sure we talked about, you know, just when it comes to kind of producing things, yep. know, things for sale. So aside from books and aside from photos, I want to talk about sauna hats. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, what is a sauna hat? Why would you need one in a sauna? Um, so... Just to preface this, <laughs> I just got obsessed with going to the sauna recently. Um, Which I'm well aware of. So, <laughs> so let's talk about saunas, sauna hats. Um, What's going on there? So I was in Mexico City in December of this year, January. Jan- no, yeah, December I can't wait January. to go to Mexico City. Um, I'm supposed to go this year. And I'd like yeah. I I dabbled dabbled in a sauna in the past. <laughs> I'd I'd been in a steam room, but I did this thing called 
uh, Tomascal, which is kind of like a, it's more of like a ritual thing where it's kind of like a big rock right. <laughs> that is like cored out and you go and sit inside it, they fill it with like really, really hot volcanic rocks. Holy shit. Um, make it so it's pitch black. And then basically this bloke just yells at you for an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> it's like really, it's just really in- insane. He and um, he's like shouting stuff. He's like, you're a warrior. Oh my <laughs> God. Like, yeah, I In am a English warrior. or in Spanish? Um, he was in Spanish and then had a translator. Okay. Um, and he was just like chatting about so it's almost a sensory deprivation changer yeah, minus yeah. the shouting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he was, he was chatting about, um, so this is like a really like ancient ritual and there's, it doesn't happen too much now in Mexico. He was chatting about, he had this one friend, his friend was a, was a bird called Basham. I just thought oh that was nice. Basham. Um, but yeah, he was like, you're a warrior. You're a man. Oh You're a God. woman. <laughs> um, yeah, and was it in that experience? Was it mixed gender? It was mixed gender. Okay, yeah, cool. and I was like, "Wow, this is this is sick." I want to find more. This is your calling. More heat yeah. based activities. <laughs> uh, Did you feel really good afterwards? I felt, or? Okay. I felt great. Yeah, um, I felt like I was going to pass out as soon as I went into the cold shower. Mm. Um, but after that, I was like, "Yeah, this is great." Wow. Um, and I was like, yeah, I need, I want some more heat-based activities. And it just so happened that like this community sauna opened up in Hackneywick. Okay. In like this old bathhouse. Um, so I've just been hanging out there a lot lately, just as, um, I think it's just a nice way to socialize without going to the pub. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just go with pals and, and get hot. Um, and is it just, uh, so... The sauna experience, let's say, in Hackney Wick. Yeah. Right. Obviously. So the one in Mexico, was it was it kind of a spiritual thing? Yeah, that was more of a spiritual okay. thing. The one in Hackney Was it Wick. like a shaman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The and then in... um so they they take you on this guided spiritual journey. And and what's the what are you meant to kind of what's the takeaway? Or what's the yeah, what's the thing that they kind of like are are meant to impart to you? I think they're just preparing you for life, life and yeah. death. Okay, right. Um, the big, uh, yeah, the big yeah, eternal, the big, the big picture. Um, but yeah, then I've I've just kind of been just going going to the sauna a bunch, uh, getting my sauna hats on. Hell yeah! Um, so sauna hat is basically. It's just a felt hat that kind of looks like um, something that like Noddy would wear or like the Smurfs would wear. Mm. Um, and you dunk it in water and then wear it and it keeps your head cold. So then you can sit in the heat for longer, oh, basically. Whoa. Okay. Um, so you can just last a lot longer in there and then you go out and do a nice cold plunge. If, it, do it if all it's over made again. of felt, that doesn't seem very like... Uh water friendly to me but yeah i mean that's the thing i guess they're quite like weird sturdy structures and you just yeah absorb a bit of water stick it on your head that's cool get in that heat and so as far as saunas go now that you are kind of a an aficionado (laughs) 
<laughs> what so have you had other sauna experiences how do you rate them and like what are the different yeah what are the different kind of saunas like what what does one look for if they're getting into the sauna game um so i think like the hackney wick one is way more sort of like a finish approach to okay. it they're like very very like dry saunas um probably my preferred sauna you know you like the scandinavian yeah. sauna okay yeah um they're actually opening sort of like a similar one in south london so it's going to be like the south london community sauna which i think is going to be kind of like around bermondsey um they did something at avalon cafe a little while ago mm. for like a fundraiser for it but i'm not too sure what's going on yeah with it now um yeah, it's like, I guess, like Turkish ones, Russian ones. I went to like a Russian one yesterday. You went to one in New York too, I went right? to a Russian one okay. in New York. That was sick. Was it good? Yeah. Have you been to that one? I've heard a lot about it, but I, I still don't know if the sauna is my thing. It's great. You know? Go and play backgammon yeah. on the roof. <laughs> and it's all dudes, right? No. Oh, with the Russian one? No, no. Oh, okay. Uh, I, think we, I think they're kind of like gen... So the one I went to yesterday... It could be like you could go to like a specific gendered one or there's mm. like mixed sessions as okay, well. Yeah, because um, I think there's something about I mean, you know, not that like I'm dying to be like naked around like multiple genders, but I think there's something weird for me about like these gendered things. Well, we're in England. Yeah, yeah I know. It's, <laughs> it's swim shorts. Does it, yeah, no one ever gets like real na- yeah, the naked. Pecker, right? The pecker isn't out. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, actually, the the one yesterday there was a a few there was a blow a few old fellas. There is there's one old guy who swims at the um at the heath in the men's yeah 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 thing. I mean, there's probably a bunch of them, but like yeah, definitely. I think that was my only real kind of like England nudity experience. Yeah, but, yeah. I think he we was, should. He, he was just hanging out, sunning it, you know. Maybe we should be nude more. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe. There's a sauna in like the base basement. Is basement the right word? Um, of like a Finnish church in Rotherhithe. Okay. Um, Is that how you pronounce that? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and that's very like, it's just full of old naked Finnish blokes, basically. <laughs> um, but it's like a very, very small sauna as well. Have you uh, now adopted the term the Schwitz? Yeah, I think... I think so. Am yeah. I allowed to say it? Do you yeah, think? you're allowed to yeah. say it. Yeah. Because I, I saw on your Instagram you were <laughs> something about the Schwitz. But but what's the actual... So here's what I don't understand. And maybe it's just because I'm a complete novice. Like, you feel good after it. But what's the science there? Like, what? Like um, why do you feel good? It's because you're going th- from, like, extreme heat to, like, extreme cold temperatures and then like just back and forth for ages right it's like it makes your skin gray it's like good for like your heart it's good for your brain yeah um there's like i don't know there's a there's a lot of science behind like how it just like improves general health going to the sauna regularly yeah i'm sure it like releases some kind of like endorphins or something like this like yeah i guess it's just like you're pushing yourself across like two very different extremes yeah um yeah you just feel incredible after that's so cool uh, all right well i'm gonna go so soon. we're going yeah. right after this <laughs> is there a way in which new dimension 
fuses with sauna culture? I think it can. Yeah. I think it will. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I guess the other thing I'm wondering, so what is, what aside from all of the sauna excursions in the future, what are you working on now? Like what's coming up? Um, what is coming up? I've got a few, a few publishing projects on the agenda, but I'm kind of too soon to talk about. A little too soon, yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm kind of not wanting to like push publishing too aggressively. Just like I just want to make things when it sort of feels right mm. with the right people. Um, the main stuff is really kind of working with publishers to get their stuff out there. Uh, right. So I'm working with. Yeah, a whole bunch of publishers at the moment, like mm. distributing their books or doing like different PR campaigns or just like, yeah, doing different services for for publishers. Um, I want to kind of work on some sort of like physical event soon. I'm not too sure whether that's going to be mm. like a book fair or I don't know. I'm not really too sure what kind of right form that's going to be in. And are you going to do the Manchester fair? Yeah, I'm going yeah. to do, I've got a bunch of book fairs coming up over the next shout out to Lillian, shout out to Lillian, shout out to Joe, shout out to Rob. Um, yeah, I've got bound. I've got, uh, unseen in Amsterdam. I've got the Vienna art book fair. Oh, that's great. Um, think i'll do the page master's book fair which is mm. in late september i think yeah plenty of plenty of book fairs it's nice yeah. to be that's great out and about chatting to people yeah i what i've what i've learned um kind of in the past couple of years i kind of feel like the european fairs are always really good at kind of like networking and meeting people um not so great on the sales front. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and I'm only saying that because I think, you know, publishers do have to consider, um, even if it is relatively close, you know, it is a flight, it is a stay, it is like a couple of days. Exactly, of yeah. You um, don't want to lose cash right. on, on it. But um, I did the Athens Art Book Fair last oh, year, yeah, right? yeah. which was unbelievable. I think I might have had too much fun because I was like, there were a couple of days where they were like, you know, shared a table with people. They were like, are you coming to the table today? <laughs> but um, I've found that the, yeah, like the U.S. fairs are always good at being that like bump in revenue. Like totally. you can count on them to be a bump in revenue. Yeah, 100%. And um, I did two fairs in uh, Asia, one in Beijing, one in Hong Kong. And, um, I just didn't bring enough, like if I had more stock, I would have just sold it. Yeah. It was insane how much I wow. sold. Um, um, yeah, the one in, in Beijing is called ABC. And, uh, then the one in Hong Kong was at Tycoon, um, which is a museum, but has like very cool people working kind of like within curatorial and, um, and publishing, um, they have a really great like artist book reading room there. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of want to explore the the Europe fairs a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, 
Paris is always good. Like during like sort of Paris photo, there's always like off print and poly right. copies. Yeah. Um, and does and off print off print and um and photo like the photo fairs always tend to happen at the same time? Is that intentional? I think off print kind of started to be like a art book fair to correspond right with on the occasion of but they're not related to it right 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 and then i think polycopies is kind of like an offshoot of off print Mm. polycopies is great it happens on a boat in paris Mm. um it's kind of like you know like the the zine tent of the new york art book fair it's kind of like that sort of vibe yeah about it's like oh that's really like high energy and when you do the the printed matter fairs you're in the zine tent um i've been in yeah i've been in a few like different different places um but i think like that's where that's where like a lot of the publishers that i enjoy are yeah so i'd rather be around them than be i don't know in like yeah i I don't really see myself as like necessarily photography publisher or like i'm not really like graphic design nerd so yeah i don't want to be necessarily in those spaces either either. (laughs) (laughs) it was cool though one year um this might have been the year before the pandemic like 2019 for the new york art book fair when i was doing fully booked um sonnell and emmy uh gave me a really good spot and we call well pj and i used to call it like the inside the inside zine tent oh yeah which is just this big room like upstairs at PS1 oh, right. that like it feels like just the people who have graduated from yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. but it still kind of has those vibes but they um, had the dome as well didn't yeah, they yeah the dome the like, dome is always like the, best the best place to yeah. be yeah I could I don't know I, I always felt like maybe the projects because I, I think for Fully Booked we were trying to do a very like straightforward distributor thing and wanted to kind of make sure we were we were more of like a like a blank canvas to the publishers we represented yeah where I feel like the the dome was really for like like outsider weirdo totally. kind of like cool stuff that like really had a uh, like a spin on it um but I think like yeah my my big inspiration from yeah it's funny like it's it's just thinking about how much those fairs also like incubate you like the like I was so inspired by like Culpa Press yeah. and um, Mitsu Okubo and they were always kind of like in that that dome area and I always um kind of wanted to I, I sort of like aspired to that but then totally. actually as a zine temp person like I met like Nicole Killian and um you know people I'm still in touch with now who actually came to do like fully booked and stuff um but um but yeah, then and then you get to LA and it's sort of like, well, there it's just one big fucking space. Yeah, I yeah. think that's great though because yeah. I think it's sort of the I guess like the small press room in LA just makes it a little more blurred between mm. like if you're like I don't know a zine or like you are a publisher who's taking it a little more seriously. But it's all kind of like small press and it's mm. all great. And then in the other rooms, you do have like, yeah, sort of like more specific things like there's the room for photography or more sort of like yeah. design heavy stuff the or whatever. Or like the, stuff. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I really like that. I think like that huge room for like small presses in LA is, is great. Yeah. It's like yeah. great, great vibe. That's so cool. Is, um, 
Who's like organizing it now? Is it Sanel? Sanel. And Sunny? Sunny. And yeah. Sunny? Okay, great. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know when the New York one's happening now because it's not obviously not happening this year. Oh, is it not? No. Oh. Um, I mean, it normally happens in September. Yeah, I yeah. Think. But um, um, I know, actually, just speaking of the kind of schedule in Europe, um, and I, I wonder if you've ever participated, there's something that happens in Berlin. Uh, misread. I don't think it's misread, actually. It, it's called, like, Friends with Books. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Friends with Books, I think, happens at the same time as the New York Art Book Fair. Okay. And it's, I can't remember the exact name, but it's from someone who used to be on the Printed Matter staff who moved to Berlin. All right, kind of nice. That. So that's one I've always wanted to check out. And um, Tokyo Art Book Fair has been kind of moving around, but I think used to be in September, but now yeah. it's actually going to coincide with Bounds. Oh, really? Yeah, I think it happens, like, at a similar Cause, time. Because, like, Tokyo always used to be the same as New York, Right, it? right. Um, have you ever done the Tokyo one? No, I would love to. Yeah, so... Yeah. We should maybe... Maybe we should think about... Yeah, let's do it. Tokyo trip. But, um... But, yeah, and, um... So, is, is the... In the future, is there more kind of, like, additioning of photos outside of the book as well? Like, kind of... Because it seems like the sun of the city, oh, no, the city of the sun, <laughs> um, it seems like it's kind of like a bigger idea than just the book, right? It also, yeah. Is this kind of going to be maybe what, um, or again, it might be too early, you know, what, what to expect from New Dimension in the future? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's what is appropriate for every project, like for the city of the sun. We did that to kind of like launch our photo London in Somerset House. Um, and then we've just done a show of the same work at Village, which is a bookshop in Manchester um, that has a gallery space. Um, but then like, you know, maybe maybe I'll sort of like chuck out like a, a quick scene by someone. Yeah, and it's like right. a smaller run and it doesn't necessarily need... Um, multiple exhibitions sure right things like that but i do i do kind of wanna go beyond the book Mm. (laughs) as as silly as that may sound like so for example with with this book as well we like made t-shirts um (coughs) yeah I, i just kind of wanna think of ways to kind of like expand yeah beyond just kind of like making this yeah. one object i think that's good thinking because it's sort of like the publisher can have wings um i thought similar things um in the endless days and and definitely with fully booked i mean the things that actually became the most popular were like t-shirts rizzo prints hats. Uh, yeah people stickers love hats. people loves oh hats hats are having a real moment yeah i feel like um and for a while it was like stickers and buttons like yeah, everyone's yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was I was making some hats for um the LA fair. So it was it was basically my, my football team, Barnsley, um, have this in the nineties had this logo which had like sort of a just like a Yorkshire rose on it that was some like weird illustration. But I thought it'd be funny to 
make a hat with that logo on it right and sell it to people in la who'd have no idea about what it actually was sure yeah um that i was actually like selling barnsley football merch to them <laughs> right uh, but anyway i i was printing it or not printing it um making them with page masters and the design broke the embroidery machine, so we oh, only ever made three my versions. God. Does Page Masters have their own embroidery? Yeah, they've just okay. started doing it. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's really sick. I mean, it's smart because I feel like everyone wants a hat now. Exactly. You know, the artist hat. <laughs> oh man, what about starting your own book fair? Have you thought about that? Yeah, I've thought about that a lot. Yeah. Um, so it's something that like me and Lillian have been chatting about quite a lot. Um, but we want to do something that is a little more ambitious mm, than yeah. what is kind of currently on offer in London. Because I think, like, you know, it's great that all of these, like, little fairs are happening, like, around the city. Yeah. But we want to do something that, like, is going to be on a much bigger scale and is, like, that kind of like people who are not necessarily interested in arts publishing and are going to come to because it's just like right an event Seems that's a bit happening niche. right yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah it's like like if you go to like the new york or la one you just meet so many like normies there mm-hmm. because there's just like it's just like this is an it's event just that's the thing that people LA. go to yeah. yeah or like people who are just interested in sort of like broader cultural things sure yeah um, i always thought that was weird and i think maybe me just being who i am i'd be like sitting at my table being like i've slaved over these books yeah and look like shit and like <laughs> haven't slept for days and and then having these visitors be like dressed up like because it's like yeah, just yeah. like a night out for them <laughs> you know but i mean in that's a way it's good want. but it's yeah. good you know that's like, how that's how you like grow right that's how yeah. you grow a culture um right. but it's just in london it's just really hard finding an appropriate venue yeah yeah um, like we've we've spoken to a few people but we've really struggled it's a kind of like institutional partnerships you're exactly looking? yeah um so yeah we, we've spoken to quite a few places now and it's just like yeah. nothing's being quite right for what we've wanted like yeah. i think we've got a very specific vision on what we want to do right and until we find that place well white chapel used to do the london art book fair yeah right? they did yeah. yeah um i'm not sure what what's happening did you ever go to now. that yeah i went to that yeah. a few times i yeah. think that predated me yeah it, yeah, it, it right. would have for sure yeah. i don't think it's happened for a long time yeah. and like yeah it yeah. wasn't the most like i like uh, the asp energetic. fair did you ever go to that? Yeah, yeah I've been that's to a good one. Those, yeah. Um, but again, I think, um, yeah, I think it's smart to think, uh, you know, how does, well, I, I think it gets back to the kind of like accessibility thing we're talking about before is like, how do you, um, or at least this ecosystem needs people to be brought in, right? Yeah. Like the art world can't really just sustain itself um there's just like not enough resources to go around if you can bring someone in um and it's not even just about resources it's just kind of like people like heads through the door exactly yeah you know um we thought about that a lot with endless with publishing sort of like the joke about sports was that it would be sort of like the sports section of a newspaper yeah yeah, right and and it was and, and and i think in a way it did bring in 
a lot of people um not just for submissions but for readership too who just sort of like never thought they would be interested in an artist book um and then it just turned into this crazy crazy thing um we had a we had a love advice column in it too yeah (laughs) um Anne marie uh what was her last name um i'll have to look back but yeah no that sounds exciting though yeah yeah i mean it's i want to say it's early days but it's no days (laughs) it's more it's more (laughs) it's more of an idea more of a thought than anything that's remotely sort of incubated starting at zero here yeah exactly um so maybe that'll happen maybe it won't yeah man um but yeah it's it's nice to do things that are physical yeah well i'm looking forward to seeing what's next thank you yeah and uh thanks for being on the podcast Thanks for thanks for inviting me on. This was great. It was lovely. Is it done? I think it's done. I timed nice. it at an hour and a half. Oh, sick. Yeah, so we did an hour and a half. Nice. It's pretty. It's pretty good. Let's go to the sauna. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Into the paint podcast episode one. I can't believe it's real. Ben, thank you so much for being on the show and being my first guest. Harry Bix, thank you so much for creating the theme song that we're listening to right now. I'd also like to give a big shout out to Eric Hansen for being my sound guru and helping me through this process. And thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can come back next week. We're going to have Nick Hinman on the show. And please remember that you can find this podcast wherever you choose to find your podcasts. And uh, give us a follow on Instagram while you're at it. <laughs>